Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years, and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Thursday, April 6th. 2023, and today is Gil Kane's birthday, who a lot of newer fans have no idea who this iconic creator is in the comic book history. With decades of comic books, many creators get lost in the shuffle, and too often, only the big names get remembered. Now, Gil Kane's a pretty big name, don't get me wrong, but he, again, hasn't been around for a few decades. Now, as regular listeners to the show know, I often spotlight these creators that I think deserve more attention. And I also happen to bring on Ross Aiken from the podcast, Stop, Let's Team Up, to talk about these creators. Ross has been on the show more often than any other guest because I think he brings a fresh perspective that makes for fantastic shows. Now, one of the things I think that sets the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast apart is the variety and lacking of timeliness most of the time. See, I often cover topics from all over the decades. Not too often do I focus on stuff now unless they're a Kickstarter or indie publisher. I think this is a great idea. And I also try to keep the episodes a little shorter, about 20 minutes. Now, you'll find a link to Ross's podcast in the show notes. Please check it out. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Another thing in those show notes is a link tree on the Fantastic Comic Fan, so please follow the podcast on social media and subscribe. Look through that podcast feed. Look at some of the great episodes we've had in the past. Check them out. Please pass this podcast on. I want it to continue to grow, and as I said, introduce fans to a different way of covering comic books. Now on to today's show. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have frequent guest Ross Aiken from Stop Let's Team Up. Before we talk about today's topic, Ross, you haven't been on for a while because I have not been feeling all that great. So what's been going on with your podcast lately? Ooh, a lot. Uh, Opal City is coming. Can we talk since? A little bit. Well, Opal City's up. When I'm done here today, I'm going to edit episode 10, which has Peter Watson from Earth 2. And we are talking about Something I didn't know about, and Dave Steele from Earth 2 told me about it, the the villain star hyphen man that Batman and Batwoman, the original Batwoman, fought in the 50s. And the day David told me about it, I found a copy of that issue in a little mailbox, a little library box on the corner of my street. That's pretty cool. Literally four hours after me and him talked, and I'm walking the dogs with my wife. I'm saying, take that off! And I had to take a picture of the comic and send it to Dave. And Dave was like, whoa. So that's what me and Pete covered. It's Silver Age, glo- it's Silver Age g- goodness. You kind of run a short form podcast yourself too. How long are your episodes basically for Stop? Let's team for, mo- for Stop, it's about eight, anywhere from 18 to 25 minutes. That's a good, nice little, nice bite. Yeah, side. when I have a guest, because I do a lot by myself, I recorded the episode 10 and 11 a while ago because I had to, because of range when they're busy and not podcasting. So I recorded 11 and then 10, and then I did like six, seven, eight, nine. But the one with me and Dave, I'm I'm editing the one with Pete today, and that will take a while. And the one with Dave, I'm just going to have to hide myself in my office because there's a lot of fucking tangents in it. It could be an hour and a half. But okay. I only do it when I have a guest. 
and we, you know, and I trim a lot. So, but, you know, I do have some long form ones and the one me and Dave did, we covered two issues because Dave is going to come on. I don't know how familiar you are with Starman, but every year there was a talking, an, an issue called Talking with David, where he would right. talk to his dead brother. Yes. And every so often there was Times Past, which would show you a flashback to another Starman, whether it be his dad or Disco Starman, uh, as I call the Jerry Conway Starman, or Prince Gavin, or stuff like that. And Dave's going to kind of be my guest on those regularly. Okay. So, so, but they have, it's normally they're not that long. And I've had other guests, had a, you know, I had Rick from OC, DC OCD, a couple other podcasts, which I'm blanking on. We talked, uh, Starman, uh, you know, Jimbo's been on the Tuck Legion. We're trying to schedule, a, we're going to cover Legion, start the Legion Star Trek crossover, which I, a buddy gave me the hardcover for Christmas. And I went, I wonder how this, and I was, oh, yeah, this is actually pretty good. Pretty great. <laughs> so, yeah. So about, you know, it's short, mid, mid, mid range. I don't know if it's really short, 15 minutes. I was trying for 15, 10 or 15 minutes, but sometimes I do, two, I do two issues at a time. Because I think one issue is just a little, for my Legion, my Legion adventure, it would have taken me, I'm 58 years old. I've been 102 by the four I got to love it. <laughs> so, and then I'm doing, you know, like the Star Girl, I do too. I haven't been to the comic shop in a couple of weeks, so I haven't got my Danger Street. So when, you know, I do Danger Street, I do that. And then I do the first issue special that it covered, you know, the do issue four. So next one is Danger Street four and first issue special four with Lady Cop. We are here today, Ross. We are talking about birth, the birth of Gil Kane, whose birthday is coming up on April 6th. And all goes well. We will release this episode for his birthday. And it would have been his 97th birthday. Wow. And you and I, a lot of times, will bring in not necessarily the underdogs, but a lot of creators that people don't remember as much anymore. Because, well, yeah. Gil Kane, for example, he's been dead for... 23 years he had yeah in 2000 and he had a span of 50 years that's a lot of years of being involved in comic books and we've talked about bob brown from dc we've talked about marie severin we've talked about other creators and this time we're talking about gil kane because they're just as important as the jack kirby's the Carmine Infantinos, the Stan oh, Lee, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they I just get, get yeah. it, it, everybody gets their due, but a lot of these creators just get lost. Stan Goldberg, we talked about Stan Goldberg yeah, before, yeah. and these characters just get, creators just get lost and they shouldn't. But Gil Kane, I was reading um, a book, which we'll talk about, that got me onto Gil Kane's radar again, and he worked for everybody, did everything. Over at um, DC, if you look, he did the modern day Hal Jordan Green Lantern, the Silver Age Adam. He co-created Adam Warlock, Iron Fist, Morbius with Roy Thomas. I mean, his stuff is just, his fingerprints are all over the place. Oh, no, yeah, it's, and I think we're older fans. So he was, I was a kid when he was still drawing. I was an adult when he was still drawing. But he is as important to DC Silver Age and the rebirth of characters, the reinvention of characters from Golden Age to Silver Age. I can't think anybody other than Gardner Fox that is maybe as important other than Joe Kubert. Yeah. Because he did. He 
he did how he created how he's co-creator of Hal Jordan, co-creator of the modern Adam. He drew everything. He drew everything at some point. DC science fiction, which was DC continued to do science fiction comics way longer than anybody else. Really. Yes. He, he had the ability to like, he was just always there. And it's like, well, I didn't realize you, you sit there and you start looking at his path. You start connecting these dots and you go, Oh, I didn't Oh, he did do this. He did do that. He did, you know, and again, you're talking decades of history. And I believe that Jill King's kind of gotten lost in the whole shuffle of creators that are important that we should be talking more about because a lot of, well, a lot of what he did is still foundational today. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's the things that people don't, you know, people, like his run on Spider-Man, which isn't that long, is it? It's just no, no, no. He, you know, I, I made a couple of notes about that. You think he did a lot of Spider-Man, but he really didn't. But what he did do is he was actually involved in three important milestones in Spider-Man. First off, he drew that drug issue with Stan Lee. Yeah. He drew that where modern day fans don't realize we used to have a comic code that went straight from the 50s straight into the 80s. And at one time, it was pretty harsh, and you couldn't do a lot of things. You couldn't do drugs. You couldn't do monsters. You couldn't do blood. You couldn't do this. Couldn't show an interracial couple. Nope, you couldn't show an interracial couple. It was really, it was, yeah, it was, the, folks, I'm going to show, you know, that this, I was, the Hayes Commission was gone by the time I was a kid, but it was kind of like the Hayes Commission. In yeah, for comic books. Yep. yep. Very strict what, ratings code. It was to keep yourself from getting brought before Congress as we will police well, ourselves. And, and the government, basically, and the government went to Marvel and said, hey, write this drug issue. We want more drug awareness. And the comic code still wouldn't let them do it. So, so it went without a pay. It's one of those rarities oh, that it went without the, the code. The whole three issues went without a code. And then also started the that right there was the loose start of the loosening of the code. So you had all these vampires and ghouls and things that happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It started right right DC there. had its, I mean, with Speedy. They didn't want to show yes. Speedy, but we're going to do it. Screw it. Yeah. And this, yeah. it all started with this right here, right around 96 through 98. God, that's really early. Well, I didn't realize this too, but Gil Kane was also the artist when Stan Lee stopped writing Marvel's Amazing Spider-Man and Roy Thomas picked up the issues. He was the artist for that whole bridge. Really? Yep. See, I knew he drew it, yep. but I always felt... Be because I believe it was issue 100 that Stan left or 101 and at the end of the issue, there's Spider-Man with the six arms. And that's where Stan Lee left it for Roy Thomas yeah, to pick yeah. up. That's a classic dick move. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. And that was Gil Kane drew that. Yeah. And then Gil Kane also drew the death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. But see, and I want to ask and you. And he this, left I, shortly after that. Yeah. And I think, because I remember growing up reading Ross Andrews' Spider-Man, which is yes. not highly thought of. But it's really a weird Spider-Man because Peter's tall and lanky. It's weird, you know, but... I always felt that Andrew was put in there because he looked like Kane or okay. Amita. They were trying to see, you know, they wanted a continuity of art. You know, they never threw Jack on it. You never drew someone else on it. But all these guys, they're different. I mean, Gil and Remita Sr. and Ross Andrew are all different artists. But there's a continuity of style. Yes. You know you what know, I mean? Because well, Ditko is, no one's ever been like Ditko until you get McFarlane and right. Larson later. And they look very much in the style of Ditko. 
I was I found this interesting that um talk about more of this later. Gil Kane over the years did a lot of reading and research, he was a highly educated man. Now he didn't go to really like college, but he did a lot of reading. And a lot of it actually stems from Robert Kaniger and Julius Swartz when he was younger at DC. And they would just intellectually and verbally just beat him with a baseball bat. I can see that. And eventually he got to the point where he could actually hold his ground with Robert Kaniger after years and years and years. Now, I mentioned this because this is interesting because when they did the, the death of Gwen Stacy, Conway was only 21 at the time. And Kane was 47 at the time. So I was just, it's just kind of interesting the dynamic between some young buck and some seasoned pro who'd already been 20 plus years in the industry coming together to create a story that they had no idea would measure up to anything years later. They were just writing comic books thinking in 10 years, five years, this whole thing's going to be done. Well, now that you say that, and I, and I, I read your notes this morning. It was like 5.30 in the morning, folks, so I wasn't caffeinated. I'm not caffeinated enough right now. But I read that, and you put that note in there, and then I thought, well, they were working in the Marvel way. Yes. So, and I think Jerry Conway is a great comic writer. Oh, yeah. He's a great comic writer. We've talked and about him was, before. Yeah, yeah. And he is, you know, and he is a successful writer. I mean, he is, an, you know, very successful writer he has written movies he writes tv you know he's works on tele you know he does all this other stuff what a better teacher because the artist is going to draw it first and then you're going to script it yes how did he how much i mean i would love to ask him that question how much did you learn from working with people like gil kane and ramita senior and all these other people because they were the marvel system was plot it draw it script it not only was uh, Gil Kane highly intelligent, but he was, and we'll talk about that when it gets to this particular book, but he got into the, the theory and the craft of comic creation. It wasn't just a job for him. He would spar back and forth, you know, nicely, you know, uh, doubles advocate when, with different creators. But what I liked about Kane is that his style distinctly changed over the years. Yes. Yeah, his Silver Age stuff from DC with Flash, I'm not sorry, about Green Lantern, Ab. Then you look at some of his stuff from the Bronze Age, the Amazing Spider-Man. You look at his 80s work, DC and the uh, Superman stuff. It's all different. But at the same time, you can go, you know what? That's a Gil Kane. Yeah. He's, he's got one of them distinctive styles. Now, you can't say that about, you know, you can say that about Kirby and Ditko and Romita and Comrade yeah, yeah, yeah. Tino, and I think he knew what he... Go, I don't know who this person is. He looks, but you can always pick out a Gil Kane. I think Gil Kane drew to his drew to the material. You know, okay, I'm doing science fiction, and I think you know, I always thought some of his sci-fi comics looked a little bit like Carmine, and I thought it was intentional. Yes, you're like, wait, is this? Car- oh no, this is Gil Kane. He's just laying this out like Carmine. I got it. Okay, but no, I... yeah, and it's also he with him is it's just. Uh, thing with inkers he had a variety of inkers and i yes. think he i he got beat up a bit i remember i was working in comic shop when he was doing superman and he got beat up a little bit by some younger fans like what is this and i said eh, i think you're just not getting it right and he's different than kurt i mean he was it was and i had asked around before we started was he do did he replace swan because i couldn't remember what book he was in but swan did it what superman for 40 years yeah his style was different 
because his Superman, he made it look big. Yes. Big now, and bold. And that was a different Superman for the time. But, you know, he didn't draw every issue. He, he did back and forth. But the DC Comics Infinite app actually had the adventures of Superman Gil Kane, which collects all that DC Comics presents and DC special action. All of his Gil Kane stuff is right there on that DC Infinite apps. And that's almost 400 pages. But... But for him, that's a that's very little in his history of his work. Well, it? no, yeah, it is, but it's, it collects all of his Superman right there. So instead of bouncing all around, and a lot of that Superman is not in the app as individual issues. Well, yeah, the DC, the Swiss mm-hmm. cheese that is some parts of DC. DC, comics, <laughs> you know, they now that they did this big rollout, they're still not adding enough content that I think it's overpriced still. And I don't think they ever fixed the search engine of all this. I just think it's still kind of overpriced for what you get and what they add on a given month. The adding, I think I, what I like about it is more that you get certain things early. Like well, you Star get it early, Girl. but is it worth 120 bucks a year? I'm only, it's only $8 more than you were paying before. Well, yeah. A month, uh, but you have to pay it all at once. That was the bitch. You couldn't do the, the month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all right. My wife did it as a present. So. And I, I'm enjoying it because there's a lot of stuff, you know, I'm... I'm actively selling some stuff and, you know, that can make, because I don't have room. So for me, but my big thing is, it's like, why, if I have this in a book on the shelf, why is it not on the app? Yes. If it's in a collected edition, why is it not on the app? And there's no reason for added that. anything onto the app since they did that big dump. So a lot of the trades that have come out of it are not on the app. Uh, I think, didn't they dump some more? Not recently. There's a bunch of apps that are out or there. Or you that... just you put you had posted you had found some stuff. Maybe okay, you just found it. It had been probably been and they've got them. the they've got one of the worst search engines to find anything in there. It's just we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the only it. thing I th- th- think is worse is Marvel because Marvel doesn't put the annuals with the titles. That pisses me off. No, that's 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 my pet peeve. At least if I want to read a run on of uh, Justice League. Or an event, if you're on DC, you can, they put everything in order. Now, Comixology Unlimited is still a smorgasbord of great comic book stuff. The problem is it remains a clunky interface because it does this so-called great update of over a year ago that they completely botched up and never fixed. So to use Comixology to find something is like finding a needle in a haystack. Because you can't find independence. Because it's find- a, Amazon is using its search engine, which is a yes. turd, which is thinking it's uh, with all the data you're trolling out of us. How come the comics I want don't pop up? I don't use comicology because one, I did when it came out early on, I couldn't stand, I couldn't, it was hard. Even then I found it hard to navigate. Well, the, the nice thing about Comicology Unlimited is they throw on some, some nice historical books every so often. Yeah. I see. That's what I like. I also don't want to pay for it. And I'm going to pay for a streaming. I just want it on there and I'm going to read it. And this is what I like. I, that's where I got me on the Gil Kane thing because they had this oddity called Spying with Gil Kane, the Bane of History and Aesthetics of Comic Books. And Comicsology does have these really cool history, um, nonfiction history books and comic books, if you can find them. And everybody knows who Gil Kane is, but they don't know Gil Kane. And while I was reading this book, and it takes interviews from going back to the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. They're not basically in chronological order, but somebody with some kind of foresight basically sat down with a tape recording and said, let's tape this stuff and preserved it and eventually put this book out. 
Now, some of it is at comic conventions. Some of this is at the luncheons. There's one or two that's actually at Gil Kane's house. And they bring in some, like, really cool people. I mean, just imagine Gil Kane was talking with Hal Foster, who did Prince Valiant. And they back and forth were verbally talking about comic books and the structure and the whole science behind how the creation and how limiting and stifling comic books can be. And they also had, they have on there, they had um, Walt Kelly from Pogo, Harvey Kurtzman, Robert Crumb. And he was a, Gil Kane was just this great analyst, this critic. He was a theorist of comic books. He was such a brilliant man that I was like, wow, I didn't realize he was so smart. And he just, I don't think I've ever read anybody that knew the science of comic books like Gil Kane. That's cool. I'd like to see that book because I buy the Tomorrow stuff from time to time. No, this is actually um, not Tomorrow's. Who was it? Uh, you know what? It's some name brand publisher. I don't know what it is, but it's on Comiscology Unlimited. You can rent it for free. Cool. I'll have to check that out. With, it's called Sparring with Gil Kane. And it's a long book and some of it is dense because they talk about creators. I have no idea who they are. They have a couple, they have this one French guy and I'm like, and I'm like, wow, I didn't realize comic books could get so deep that I'm like, I just got lost. I have no, I have no clue what they're talking about. They're just talking about this. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is Gil Kane that's doing this. And I'm also sorry about Gil Kane that I like. It's just, you grow up as a kid and you read comic books and you go, oh, okay, this is Stanley. This is Claremont. This is this, and this is that. But it's not until you get older that you realize the importance of these characters. And I'm glad that Gil Kane was around to see comic books become the way he thought it could be. Okay, that's cool. He went like in the what what time well, period is that? Like 80s? 80s well, into the 90s during the big that's a big transitional period. Yeah, I mean he was into the eight, all the whole independent market where comic book creators could do what they want and not have to worry about editors and all this other and it's like that he was talking about even in the 70s about how comics are stifling and you, you you you're stuck in this box and you can't think outside the box and you can't really be innovative with comic books. And again, if you look at this art style from the beginning all the way through the years, the man's always changing and taking risks and dares and you know all that stuff. And he he did this for 50 years. This is his job. Uh, you know, yeah. and he's a lot he's kind of one of the last of that generation. They also, you know, they that they did it their whole lives. Yep. You know, whether they were in someone's studio, because I mean, I don't know, not everybody knows. Like Bob Kane didn't draw anything really. No. But he had a studio. Bill Finger did most of it. Bill Finger, Jerry Robbins, and people like that. And even people up until, you know, Jack Burnley, his brother inked him. His sister did stuff. Yeah. Um, when he was drawing action and super uh, action and Starman and stuff like that, that these people, all and a lot of the Golden Age guys that were hired to be the penciler on a book may not have been doing all the work. You no. know, they would have assistants who did. Like, you know, uh, as an older guy, that nowadays with digital art, you guys draw it finished on a, on a pa- on a computer so they don't have anchors. You don't have to kind of divvy the work no. up. Um, and the, the thing with Kane is, it, you know, and co- old comics is he, he was partnered with some great anchors. He was also, I've seen sometimes where someone threw Vinny on him. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, you, you have it. And that these guys just worked every day all day and did it didn't matter who they worked for they didn't care about the genre they just did 
what the assignment was and were flexible. And probably didn't realize, again, the importance of his work would have decades later. Oh, yeah. And I think he is sadly kind of forgotten because, I mean, he hasn't drawn nothing. He's really, he's, when did he stop drawing? 90s. 90s. But he was doing very piecemeal that last 10 or 15 yeah. years. When, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's not remembered unless you go back and read Silver Age stuff. I mean, I think that's when you're going to just... Somebody goes, well, I want to go back and read the origin of Hal Jordan right. and read his Green Lanterns, which is some of the best DC science fiction. Because, I mean, Green Lantern had that great model. One issue, he was a super battling a supervillain. And the next issue, he was in space. Yep. You know, and he and the things that he visually created. That are awesome. Yeah, well, and like Crisis, <laughs> the big bad in Crisis is really someone he Kronos. Yeah, yeah, and all that stuff is really it's and John's think about Jeff John's Green Lantern. It really relay relies heavily on that Silver Age stuff. Yes, for its imagery and that's Gill. So you know he, he is more. That's what I would say. He is more important than a lot of people remember because of what he did. That Adam costume is still one of the best costumes ever designed. It is. Yeah. Anything I mean, else about he, anything else about Gill came before he wrapped us up, Ross? No, no. Again, this is just a brief introduction, folks. This is just the birthday of Gil Kane. He's one of them creators that you should know more about. You don't have to go through and read everything, but know who he is. Go on these services, look around, look at his art. He's a great artist. His art still holds up over time. He has innovative style. Ross from Stop. Thank you for joining me today. We will have you on again. I don't know what. I just wanted to get this out in time for Gil Kane's. 97th birthday. So thanks again, Ross, for joining me. Oh, always a pleasure. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at fantasticcomicfan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.